0: Three, two, one. Welcome, everybody, to the Haunted Hacker podcast. Number—I don't know, Gerald. What number do you want to give it? Between eighty and hundred.
1: Between eighty and hundred. Let's go, ninety-seven.
0: Ninety-seven. Perfect. Um, today we have uh, Gerald Osier. Am I saying that right?
1: Yeah. Perfect. One. Of the, you're you're in the minority there. Most people butcher it. <laughs> I try
0: not to. I try to. I try to make sure I get all that correct. Um, we have him today, and he's going to be talking to us about his journey into cyber and and things he's passionate about. Um, Really quick, some news. Um, I just got an email today that I'll be speaking for a 1,000 ICE agents in November, which is new for me. Um, Also, I'll be speaking for the DHS working group out of Oklahoma that same month. Uh, So I'm really looking forward to that. Other than that, not a ton of news. Uh, I posted today, I just found out today that I have lupus, which is not a fun thing to have. Um, so I'm looking for ways to balance my time and, and balance my work and personal life. Uh, that's been my number one goal um, that I set uh, since I found out. So I'll be working on that and uh, give you updates on that. Um, so without further ado, Gerald, it's awesome to have you on the show. I've been following your stuff for quite a while. And uh, why don't you give us a little background information about yourself and kind of your journey into cyber?
1: Yeah, thanks, Mike. And um, you know, I, 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 we said before we started recording, like I, I'm, I've heard, I've seen haunted hacker. It's, it's like everywhere. Uh, so I'm really glad to finally, uh, you know, have the opportunity to come on and and share my story. Uh, so I've been working in cybersecurity, um, since the mid 2000s, and you know, I. I graduated with a computer science degree. So I thought you were supposed to be a software engineer or software developer. I always joke that I, 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 don't call myself a software engineer because if you look at my code, like another software developer would be like, this is a hot mess. But if you know, if you're the client, right, it runs, it does what the requirements were. So I'm a software developer. So I did that for a few years uh, and it was fine. I, I actually enjoyed the, um, the, the creation of uh, a product, right? Like I feel, I've always said it's like uh, like as close to a blue collar job in a white collar world as you can get, because at the end of the day, you have something tangible you can kind of point to and say, this is what I did. Uh, but when I found out about cybersecurity, this is probably around like, uh, I don't know, 04, 05, I was blown away, right? So I grew up kind of reading 2600. Uh, if you're familiar with that, right, it was like the hacker magazine, I would go to like Barnes and Noble to, to read it because I didn't want to pay for I didn't want to like, uh, have my mailing list associated with 2600. So I would go to Barnes and Noble, I would read it. And uh, I really was intrigued by that stuff. But I thought it was like for, you know, elite people only right like super, super technical people who just, you know, beyond me, e- even as a computer science person, I was like, this is beyond me. Uh, so when I found out about cybersecurity, the, the very first thing that really, like, I guess, hooked me, if you will, is I found out that what vulnerability scanners were. I found out vulnerability scanners existed, and it just blew my mind because I thought you were supposed to, you know, you were like an expert on AS400, and then you could like be a hacker of AS400. In reality, uh, for those who don't know what a vulnerability scanner is, you just like point it at something, and it tells you basically all the misconfigurations and missing patches and stuff. Uh, so, it's kind of like a cheat sheet. So, you know the the inevitable evolution of that was like, holy mackerel, this thing exists. Why isn't everybody like why isn't everybody being attacked all over the place, right? because if if you know script kitties can basically point this thing and it tell you the secrets or the or the weaknesses, why aren't people just knocking everything over? So uh, I, I like puzzles. I like uncovering things. So, I kind of fell down down the rabbit hole, uh, or you know, Alice in Wonderland hole, whatever you want to call it, and uh, never looked back. I, I really, really, you know, Mike, I, I'd be curious on your thoughts about it. Like for me, one of the best things about the cybersecurity industry, and one of the reasons I went on to get a PhD, is because it's so wide, and like each each element can go so deep that it's like it's like unending the amount of like learning you can do and, and, and you can go anywhere with it. It's, it's so, so large a uh, uh, topic.
0: Absolutely. yeah. Uh, the, uh, you know, the, the industry itself is, is just, it's like Alice in Wonderland, right? And with all the characters, um, especially the principals. Um, so when I first got involved with cybersecurity, I, I was more on the, the hacker side. And I actually read 2600 and I had an article published in 2600 in the book or whatever. Um, and to me, that was exciting. Um, the, the, the whole infrastructure piece of it, I didn't know anything about how networks work or, or how to code. I learned all that stuff as I was trying to get into various systems. Like I literally learned you know, different systems when I was actually trying to get in. Just crash course, find out what I need to know and then look at the behaviors and then jump into it. Um, but after time, you know, I started really sitting down and really focusing on the different principles and, and the different things that that excited me within cybersecurity. Um, coding is one of the things that, that I had to force myself to learn um, because it wasn't one of those things that uh, I was taught as a young kid or anything like that. It was just something that I knew I had to have um, in order to do my job correctly. Uh, so I dove off into that, but you're absolutely correct. The, the industry is so wide and people come from all different walks of life and different, uh, you know, other, other journeys, you know, other jobs. I've seen doctors, I've seen lawyers, um, you know, all sorts of people that cross over into cybersecurity because it's not going anywhere. You know, it fuels our life and everything we do is based on the Internet now. Um, so anybody getting into it, it's, it's really an exciting time uh, because I think we're at that precipice of major change when it comes to technology and the world in general. Uh, I'd like to hear some of your thoughts on that, too, like wh- where where technology is going and, and how we can harness it, as well as how we can protect it. Because I think that the biggest issue we have is a threat to cybersecurity.
1: Yeah, so uh, I'll answer where do I think tech's going in kind of two capacities. One, within the context of uh, developing um, a workforce for cybersecurity, and then more kind of, the, the I think, more what you were asking around the macro picture of of technology and how we secure it. So, you know, I, I agree right now. I've been saying this um, quite a bit lately that, you know, we, in my opinion, when like same as you, Mike, when we came up, um, there wasn't really uh, resources available. Like in my education, there wasn't even cybersecurity. That wasn't even a thing. And then being able to like le- like learn about uh, how, to, how to be a pen tester or, you know, a taxonomy on how pen testing might attack, all these different things, like none of that existed. And now we live in this golden age of not just resource availability, but free resource availability. I mean, there is no barrier except having, I suppose, an internet connection, which many, you know, developing countries they may not have running water, but they have internet, right? Like it's it's unbelievable. So, you know, it's about making the time and the commitment, and, and, and this technology, this expansion of technology, this availability of. Um, re, you know technological resources that go down in price and go up in speed power availability is, is it's awesome it's it's like this nexus of uh, infrastructure that can support delivery of education to a population that desperately want it and, and to your point it's not it's not just the you know the 22 year old undergrad graduate who happened to come up in a middle class united states family and has access to a four-year education it's you know, it's a developing country person. It's a single mother of three. It's a, it's a person who's been an electrician for 20 years and it's just their back and knees are blown out and they want, they want something else. So, you know, to me, like the, the direction and the velocity that we're traveling at relative to technology to support that is just fantastic. And I'm, and I'm huge loving it now to to your question around, where I think tech is going and how we may secure that from from a cyber security practitioner perspective. Because for those who don't know, I I do do a Simply Cyber YouTube channel where I help people get in, but I'm also like a nine to five guy who's like a CISO. Like I run my own program. I build it out, uh, a small workforce there. So I do Blue Team and I do GRC and I do all these other things. But as far as where we're going you know, say what you will about AI and machine learning. I know it's like punchlines and buzzwords uh, and, and we joke about, you know, uh, vendor bingo and stuff like that. But if you can automate the the basic, you know, simple stuff that happens all the time, like, you know, looking at a phishing email and telling if it's actually a fish or not, or uh, looking at some indicators of compromise and, you know, like this box is clearly popped, like let's isolate it. Like, I think that we, if we can move into having smart detection engineering around um, with machine learning enabling, I think we're going to actually become better at securing assets, uh, which, which I love. Right. So this this term SOAR, security orchestration, automation, remediation, like that's like the big buzzword in the industry right now. But there is merit to it, and you know I think if you can. Um, automate the basic stuff, you can allow people to focus on the hard problems instead of getting mucked up in the in the grind blocking and tackling. And and I know you're an offensive guy, Mike. Uh this is true on the offensive side too, right? Like I'm sure when you do pen tests, you find the same, you know, you know, pass the hash going on or SMB shares or whatever. Like you find the same stuff all the time. And it's, it's it probably is defeating for you or the least part favorite part of your job. If you can automate all that and then you can focus on doing some complicated hack or getting to an AS400 or whatever the client is. It's, it's, I guess it's, to me, the automation piece of it, it's not only going to add value, but it's going to allow you to deploy your resources in a much more valuable way than wasting it, like a senior person being wasted on junior level work.
0: Yeah, so it, it's interesting. So I, I, do, I do come from a background of red teaming, um, but currently I actually... Uh, run an MDR. I'm an MDR manager. And so I do a lot of blue team stuff and um, incident response. And I still help out with our company's red team and some of the red team functions. Um, But you bring up an interesting topic when it comes to AI. Uh, I actually had this discussion with Max Hennemeyer from Darktrace some months back. Um, A friend of mine from Cambridge, been working for Darktrace for a while. A really smart guy. Um, And they come up with a thing called the AI analyst for Dark Trace. And what they've done is they've taken some of their functionality and they've monitored how analysts triage alerts, like tier one analysts, how they triage alerts. And they've built an AI engine around that group of analysts to perform that initial triage function. So you're basically relieving those analysts of, of the triage period of it and letting them dive down into more research functions of the alerting process, uh, which I think is like phenomenal. Um, because with my team, I have about 16 people in my uh, MDR. And uh, most of the time is spent triaging alerts. And when you have you know a number of clients, you can imagine how many alerts are generated per day. Uh, and don't let you know an incident response pop up because then everybody gets dispersed trying to maintain this incident. Um, So I think that the AI tech insecurity um, hopefully we'll be able to hone and sharpen that to where it can relieve some of the pressures of of the human, human aspect. The only part that that I don't think we'll ever be able to replace from a defensive side or offensive is the human creativity function. Um, Being able to visualize and, and be creative with the way they defend or the way that they, you know, do penetration testing. One thing I would like to see AI take over and completely automate is report writing on the, on the offensive side. That would be fantastic. Because <laughs> it's really, that's, that's my biggest downfall is I, I don't really enjoy report writing. Um, but a lot of the stuff that I do now, so recently I was given an EXE file from, from a guy that, that I know very well. And he said, look, I have a client and they think there's some injection into this EXE and it's kind of malicious. Take a look at it see what you can do. Um, that, to me, is the most exciting part because I get to look at somebody else's creation and, and figure out where they were trying to be malicious and reverse the code. Um, I think we're going to need more of that in the future. Uh, you know, everybody's, you know, really focused on network attack and defense. Um, but I'd like to see some more of the AI and some more of the functionality and focus go into looking at some of this malcode um, and be able to predict where that malcode is going. Like the technology of it and be able to stop it before it gets there uh, especially ransomware uh, what are your thoughts on ransomware because I know that's really a hot topic right now
1: yeah so you know I always you know tip my hat to the to the threat actors right like as as a practitioner um you know I don't i don't I don't like it you know I, I wish it wasn't happening but at the same time you know as an adversary and someone who's in the in the field like you can look at it and say brilliant right because Malware is just software, right? It's the intent of the software that makes it, you know, evil or whatever you want to say. I, you know, I guess what I would say is it kind of illustrates how poor most organizations cyber hygiene is right. So, you know, you hear of like the Samsam Sam ransomware where they go in and then they quietly deploy and then they logic bomb and hit everyone at once, which is like more advanced, right? Or like a solar winds hack or something like that. But I would I would say by and large, especially with these ransomware as a service affiliate programs, they are, you know, I don't want to call them script kitties, but they're basically just kind of marching through those, those easy hacks that we talked about, of those easy vulnerabilities. Uh, And deploying the ransomware, sometimes you know, not deploying it correctly, right? Um, So I don't, I don't see it going anywhere. Um, I I do. I just read uh, this morning um, that Australia has is now passed some like ransomware type of um, policy, and they're trying to like do some global thing. And I know uh, Biden and the United States is leading an effort for a global ransomware initiative, and. I know sometimes I think about that stuff and I, I, do, I worked in federal IT for seven years. It's like, it's so bloated and so bureaucratic and like budgets, like budgets are already set for 2022, probably 23. Like this is a problem right now and it moves quickly. And because threat actors are making so much money, like so much money th- there's clearly no motivation for them to slow down, especially when, you know, allegedly, you know, the the host nation is like not, is, is like knowingly endorsing or inter- intentionally turning a blind eye because of who the targets are of that, you know, actor. So they basically have safe haven and where they're operating and there's not going to be extradition out. So, you know, I, I, I often joke, Mike, like if I didn't have a moral compass, I, I would be in ransomware. Like it's just too lucrative. Uh, and and frankly, too easy to get away with, especially with crypto. Um, now I know with blockchain you can follow the the, the wallets, but there's tw- twisters and shifters and spinners, and there's all ways to get the money out. But uh, so, anyways, I don't think ransomware is going anywhere. I think kind of the the macro level global initiative is is a it's a fine idea. It's it's good posturing, and I suppose it's the right thing to do. But it, I don't perceive it as effective. I think. Um, I, I really don't know what the what the answer is uh short of like you know black ops type response you know what i mean and I don't even know if that's appropriate or not but I will say like when colonial pipeline got hit like you know like if if my company got hit it would be like a news article on page six and like oops sorry and then people forget about it colonial pipeline got hit the southeast United states people are like having a panic run on gas people are pouring mm. gas and like, soda bottles and stuff it, like was a hot mess on fire. And like the United States government got involved with Swift response and we saw the money come back. We saw like allegedly black Ma- is, it, is it black matter, I think, or, or dark side. They disband side. immediately. So clearly that type of response was effective, but it's just it's just not consistent.
0: Right. I, I think that you brought up a good point about the government getting involved, right? And the new initiative. I think that was more of a political ploy than anything else because they made it very, very evident that Russia was not going to be involved in mm-hmm. that, that situation. Um, and to me, you know, if you're going to deal with ransomware and have a global initiative, you probably should engage a, company or a country like Russia because, I mean, there's a lot of activity coming out of there. Um, and what country doesn't get hit with ransomware? Russia. Um, They they have a they have a treaty amongst themselves that they don't hit Russian machines or or Russian language machines. Um, So that's really interesting. And I've talked to a few people about the status of ransomware and and where ransomware is going. Uh, And it's such a big business, like you said. Uh, The business model is is perfect. I mean, people make money. uh, You know, they run it like a call center. Um, They sell it like a product. It's just and there's so many different moving pieces just within one piece of ransomware or one attack. Um, I do think that, you know, as far as like, you mentioned black ops. So I've been tossing around a theory of, you know, instead of being reactive and waiting until we get hit with ransomware and having to dig ourselves out and, and pay these huge premiums for cyber liability insurance, why aren't there more groups actively going out and trying to disrupt that chain? Why, why aren't there more groups going out and trying to infiltrate those ransomware networks and take them hostage or, or bring those bring that infrastructure down? Um, I know that the government probably is involved in that in some sort of way um, because a lot of people, they always point fingers at Russia and China, Russia and China, but they don't understand that this is, this is collateral. I mean, we do it just as much as everybody else does, um, if not more. Uh, you look at Stuxnet and stuff like that. Um, but I, I just can't help but think that there should be more groups involved in bringing down that infrastructure. People with the off- with the offensive uh, ability and capability and talents being put to work to stop that that cancer of ransomware.
1: Yeah. If if I had to guess, um, because of how sophisticated the United States government is, and this is just a theory, like mm-hmm. in I didn't serve, I, you know, so who knows if this is just made up or not? But I, I would think that it's just not a priority. You know, which which sounds ridiculous, but I feel like if you took the power of the NSA and the intelligence community in the United States and pointed it at ransomware within three months, those those groups would be dissolved or, or, or not not interested in being in ransomware anymore. But but I mean, if you think about the bigger picture, right, we've got Afghanistan, we've got geopolitical things, we've got our internal turmoil, like there's a lot going on. And I just don't think ransomware has bubbled up. Uh, we saw a colonial pipeline, a swift response, right? So at that instance, it bubbled up. But, um, and, and that's my theory is that it's just not a priority, even though it seems like a priority to everybody.
0: Yeah, and that's partially why I say that that, that new agenda and motivation to be on a global stage, I think that's more political, you know, lip movement than it is actually, you know, want to solve a problem. Um, I, I noticed that in the government, a lot of people react. The government reacts when the sentiment of the people tends to build and then you don't hear from them for a while. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I talked to a uh, former CIA agent about ransomware and he had some, some really interesting things to say and hopefully he's going to be on the show next month and then maybe we'll get a little bit more information from him um, as far as what the government's doing. But, you know, I'm with you. Like, I just don't think it's that big of a priority unless it affects the government's pocketbook, whether it has to do with, you know, if it has to do with critical infrastructure and there's a possibility of losing a lot of money, absolutely. We'll jump on it. Um, but you know, little shops here and there, it's not a big deal to them. So, you know, I know you have this podcast and, and I've, I've listened to your podcast quite a bit. And, you know, I take the, the dog for a walk and, and I listened you know, on the weekend last weekend, I think that you had uh, you know, a new, a new stream where it was just you and, and, you know, talking to the people and they were asking questions. Tell me about how your podcast evolved and what drove you to, to want to be a voice and, and how's it going now?
1: Yeah. So the, the Simply Cyber YouTube channel started in December of 19 and I had been doing a, a podcast, like a, 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 true, just like voice podcast for about two years internally to the medical university I worked at as part of an information security awareness effort. <clears throat> so I had I had learned from someone uh, who was in the business of podcasting, how to how to produce a podcast, right? Like, <clears throat> it's not it's not complicated, but if you don't know what you're doing, it can be a little overwhelming uh, with the equipment and stuff like that. So I had these skills, but I was constrained uh, by, you know, it was an employment thing, I, certain things I could talk about, certain things I couldn't, but I really enjoyed the, the idea of the, the creation of content. And I, I was like, I want to start a YouTube channel and get the word out. Because, um, you know, we haven't talked too much about it, but like I am incredibly passionate about cybersecurity. I, I guess I mentioned it briefly earlier. Like I I got a P, I got a Ph.D. in cyber operations. Right. I, I didn't get a pay bump at work. I didn't get a new job because of it. Like I literally just love the field that much that I wanted to consume that much information and, and just be a master of of it. So. <clears throat> I wanted to share my information about cybersecurity. Like I, I wanted to get it out there, especially because I love I love our community, but a lot of the content is focused on offensive security, right? Like a lot of the YouTube content is is offensive. And I came up on the GRC track, which is probably the less sexy of all of cybersecurity, but I've got some blue team experience. I, I know some people, and I just thought it was like an opportunity to you know open the lens further for an audience that's uninitiated to cybersecurity to, to realize that it is this wide, it is this um, interesting a feel. So I started making the YouTube channel and I was doing one video every Monday, and uh, which, which is good. And the, the really cool thing is I, I quickly wanted to, uh, to talk about other topics that was not in my a wheelhouse or my forte. So I started reaching out to people. I talked to Mick Douglas, Um, About purple teaming, and then he introduced me to Eric Capuano, who's like uh, over at uh, Recon InfoSec and expert blue teamer. So I I interview him, and like I start I start building kind of this network of people, and it it was really cool. And then I I realized like oh you know like a a live stream would probably be a better format, but but I I never really wanted to get away from my Monday fixed episode. I wanted people to to expect hey you know weekend's over Mondays suck. Well, guess what? At noon, I got Simply Cyber, right? Let's do that. Mm-hmm. So I started doing that. I started doing intermittent um, live streams on Thursday, like as things kind of came up. And then maybe in the last um, six, I don't know, four or five months, um, I've started doing it every Thursday. So now basically I'm on a Thursday fixed at 4.30 live stream and a Monday fix produced uh, at noon. And now I've started dripping in the Saturday morning thing where it's just me so with the, with the live stream, though, Mike, you know, your podcast, you're interviewing guests, like it's always me interviewing a guest. It's, it's very, very seldomly me sharing me, for lack of a better term. Right. Uh, and I wanted I wanted to do that because in the, in the few instances where it's just me, I, I'm no longer focused in, in managing and, and facilitating the discussion between me and the guest. I'm focused. The guest is really the audience. And I, 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 you know, I'll talk about something, but I really wanted to be a collaborative kind of ask me anything Q&A, like I want a community feel and that podcast that you joined in on last Saturday was all about GRC analysts, the first, your first job as a GRC analyst, because people don't know like, what does that job look like? What's a day in the life? How do I get experience? How do I scale up? So uh, I did that, so I'm probably going to continue doing uh, kind of those AMAs on Saturday morning. But again, I start off kind of intermittent, get a feel of, if is this something people are even interested in, mm-hmm. uh, and then continue on. But as far as the live streams go, I'm uh, booked through mid January at this point, so pretty excited about it. And uh, you know, I, I don't know if you have like regulars in your community, but like I I have you know, regulars in my community and it's really nice. Like you see them come in and it's like, hey, how are you? Like it's good to see you. We got a Discord server and stuff like that. So um I'm really I'm 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 giving a lot to the community and I'm getting a lot back. That's the best part of it.
0: Yeah. I think that's the key. Um when I first started podcasting, I did it just me. Um and it was like a it was crazy how we started. It was literally like a five hour podcast one night. Um and it was just an idea to, to like get my story out and you know get involved. Um, and then it became more of, I'm actually learning things from people, you know, and the guests I brought on, I brought on because they're interesting that they have something that I want, or something that I want to learn, um, you know, just like, you know, bringing you on you know, looking at your resume and, and listening to you on your podcast I was like, I really want to have a conversation with this guy. Um, those things kind of drive me. However, I, I haven't done the AMAs anymore. Um, I think that that might be a, a good way to go, but kind of like we start out with just an idea of just doing a couple of videos, or whatever it turned into a podcast, and it turned into a community through Discord, and then the magazine and all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I find it I find it I guess fulfilling when someone joins the the community and, and tells me, hey, you know, I got a, a lot out of that last conversation you had, or they say, hey, you know, after the the podcast, I hooked up with them, and and you know, they've helped me in my career. Uh, just a way to give back, and I think that's really interesting to to see that. Um, but most of all, I just like it. I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy talking to people who who have been in places that I haven't been, um, and kind of a way to give back to the community, right? So all of us old guys that have been old guard from you know before cybersecurity was was a term, I try to get those guys together, like my buddy Chris Roberts and, and some of those other people, to do a talk, you know, to just have a conversation. And something we can leave behind is kind of like a historical artifact. Uh, So we have like a library of of guys that were there when it started. I had to laugh. uh, You brought up Mick Douglas. Me and Mick actually used to work together um, at a financial institution. Mick is a great guy. Uh, I've been friends with him for for a very long time. Um, And you meet people like that and relationships you form in this community. That's one thing that keeps me going is the people I've met um, that I'm friends with, that I can call a friend, uh, are there through thick and thin. Um, and we help each other out. If I have a problem that I can't figure out, you know, let's say a blue team problem or a personnel problem, I, I know that I can reach out to any one of my contacts who have that experience. And I know that we can share that. Um, so I, I, I really enjoy that about the industry. But the industry does have its, have its downsides as well. Um, just like any group of people or any or in the industry, there's always, you know, a few bad apples that, that tend to ruin things for people. Um, so, you know, I try to avoid that and try to keep a positive attitude. And even in the days that are very difficult to keep a positive attitude, I still reach out to people that, that I know are interesting to, to help me out, to give me information or, or teach me something that uh, will make my day brighter. Um, but yeah, I, I think the podcasting is, is a unique perspective on the industry alone. And there's so many podcasters that are popping up. Um, I never you know, looked at myself as a podcaster or a professional, I, I watch your podcast. I'm like, wow, he's got shit together. Like, it looks really cool. You know, like the whole streaming platform and everything, the, the way you architect it, it, it looks really professional. Uh, me, I just kind of like pop open a zoom and record a conversation and hope people like it. Uh, so that I kind of rely on the guest a lot uh, when it comes to their background and, you know, what we can lend to each other. I think that conversation is what drives the industry.
1: Yeah, you, you know, you bring up a lot of great points, and and one of the things that I uh, tell people is, you know, networking is is critically important to finding a job, right? And it's it's you can't and, and uh, social networking, not uh, computer networking, although you should really have your have your handle on that too. But uh, but 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 you can't. One of the best ways to network is to is to contribute to the community. Right. And, and whether it's a podcast or YouTube, a blog post, uh, some activity in discord, su- supporting, you know, your podcast, for example, Mike. right. Like get involved, give to the community and, and you'll start forming relationships and networking. And then eventually, you you know, like jobs will come about and uh, maybe it's a good fit for you. So I, I love that about the community. You mentioned the old guard and how things have kind of changed. Um, you know, I am, I am, I guess, Midgard. I guess. I don't know how, how old, uh, old guard is, but one of the interesting things that people may not realize about the community is that it used to be a bit more like toxic. And if you didn't know what was going on and you asked for help, the people who didn't know what was going on would be very, um, you know, basically rude to you, a very toxic Uh, Environment because it was like you were either elite or you were not. Now nowadays that toxicity is almost like vilified, and if you are toxic, and this is my favorite part, the the community itself is self-policing at this point, where like toxic behavior is absolutely not allowed, and if you try to promote it or you try to to push it, you will find yourself ostracized. And I and I just love it because I I hate exclusivity. I Mm. hate um like just i don't know like arrogance and 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 i'm better than you or like look at what i can do you suck like there's no room for that like either help someone or get out of the way
0: yeah exactly and that those people tend to congregate together too and they become these bands of trolls and Mm -hmm. it's just really irritating you know you try to go about your day like giving back to the community and doing the right thing and then you have these these voices in your ear you know it's just it's irritating um i deal with that quite a bit uh So, but I find the best way to do, to deal with it is just like they say at the zoo, don't feed the animals. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you you respond to them. They're just going to, that's what they want. They want to respond back. But you're right. Back in the old days, I remember in IRC, the the way that I learned things was RTFM. Because if you asked a question, sit back and be prepared to get flamed. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, if, if you're not willing to do the research, they're not willing to help you. And what surprised me these days, especially with the, with like the millennials and, and some of the new people coming into the industry is that I'll have someone come up to me and ask me, so what does this mean? And I'm like, you know, I don't I don't want to turn them off, but I'm like, you know, you have so much more resources than I had back then. You know, the internet is full of answers. You know, I can help guide you, but you have to want that knowledge too. You can't just expect it to just osmosis and you become a cyber genius, you know, there's ways to go about it. And I always tell people like when you first get into the industry, a lot of people say, well, how do I get my first job? How do I get noticed? How do I, you know, go through my first interview and show that I have the passion um, even though I just got out of school and I had no certifications. And I explained to them that, you know, proof is in the pudding, right? So find something you're interested in, do a research paper, do a research project, document it, get a GitHub, throw that stuff on GitHub. That way you have something to refer to like, hey, I did this and this is how I did it. Um, because I want to see actions. I want to see how you think, how you problem solve. Certification's great. I know the industry needs them. You know, it's an industry within itself, but I'm more concerned about people. And I think that's where we've lost touch with a lot of things in cyber is, it's, it's not about the ones and zeros. Those things are always going to be there. It's about people and relationships. Um, I had a CISO ask me, you know, how do you become successful in cyber, in blue teaming, in running teams? And I said, it's not about your tool set. It's not about going out and buying, you know, the half a million dollar product. It's about building relationships with those people that work for you and building a team and have a cohesive team because with a team, you can accomplish anything. You can accomplish very little if you rely on just a product. Um, So I'm interested to see your, your thoughts on that, you know, being a team leader and You know, how do you think the industry is performing as far as like relationships and building those those relationships within the industry?
1: Yeah, so I I definitely think that there's a lot of different ways to go with that question. So I definitely think that there has been some of a transition or normalization of people working in the industry, being able to be uh, social and be able to speak to the business. Right. And be able to think of succession planning uh, within their um, department and 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 be able to like actually talk to HR and get proper recs and stuff like that. So from a from a corporate perspective, there is a um, there's a bet a lot of development, right? I feel like maybe 10 years ago, like well, 10, 15 years ago, as we've said a couple of times in this conversation, like cybersecurity wasn't a thing. So basically IT was doing cybersecurity, and IT was, you know, dark room behind a monitor you know, I am a service of the business. I am not engaging with end users. Like I keep the network running and you leave me alone. And now like they, they were dual had it. So they had to do security, which it wasn't called that at the time, but there was this major disconnect uh, of, of communication. And I feel like it's gotten significantly better, um, in 2021, uh, because it's, it's much more, uh, evident right and you have specialized people who are are aware like especially on the grc side that you need to engage the end user community and i also feel like as cisos have come in they sit like like they're basically the conduit to the business so they have uh they in order to get funding in order to get dollars for initiatives they need to be able to uh, communicate the value of information security to the business, right? It's not just compliance. There, there's business enablement. We can enter new markets because we're X, Y, and Z, et cetera. So I feel because of those things, we've come a long way and gotten better. And at the um, kind of operational level, I, I, Personally, I'm a huge advocate of security awareness. Like, I think privileged access management and security awareness are prob- and multi-factor authentication are probably the three most important things that you can do for an organization. And people often scoff or dismiss security awareness as like, you know, it's whatever. It's a it's a compliance checkbox. It's once a year, End users don't care. Like, I I wish I didn't have end users. I'd be secure. But like, really. Like you're there to serve the business, right? You're there to make them make whatever widgets they're making or make whatever money they're making. So you have to be able to educate them and communicate to them effectively and and really be able to speak in a way that resonates with them. Because you've seen it a million times, Mike, like you get an email, right? For example, you get an email from whoever, marketing department or leadership or whatever, and it's like a thousand words, like delete, like you're not, you might read the title, but you're not reading the message. So it's just lost on you. Right. But if it said, if the title of the article said like, uh, how to get a pay raise or like, you know, these three things to get an extra day off, like you're interested, you will read that. Right. So you need to target uh, your communications for your end user community, which, uh, you know, I know I'm kind of deviating from your original question, but it's just so important to me. Right. Um, to effectively uh, educate your end-user community. And personally, I always, um, I, I target my end-user community uh, with ways to protect themselves personally. Here's how you protect right. your personal bank account. Here's how you protect your, like, hey, update Google Chrome or your iPhone because you're going to get uh, hacked, not hacked, but you know what I mean? Um, right. And by and by conditioning those behaviors, uh, they bring it to work with them. Like, you know, you're, you're changing the mindset of the individual, not the corporate person you know?
0: So, yeah. Yeah. And then that's very important too, because I mean, look at how we've gone from working in offices to a lot of people working, majority working remotely during the pandemic,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, that is super important. Um, and it's funny because, you know, this month is cybersecurity awareness month and, you know, I've been doing a lot of talks to, you know, for companies and for law enforcement. And the biggest, most demanded talk was how to keep your home safe. You know what to look out for your home, because now that home has now become part of the corporate network. Because the only thing standing between you and that environment is a VPN tunnel, and you know the company has to rely on the security of the home user in order to maintain their security as a company. Uh, so it's become a huge factor, um, and I, I do think that that communication has gotten a lot better. You know, over the years, I remember when I first started, it was more uh, the long-haired guys with the beards behind the door that nobody talked to and when they came out. Didn't want to speak to anyways. Um, and now it's become more open and, and more, I guess, transparent. Um, I'd like to see the the ransomware definitely go down. And you talked about uh, MFA, multi-factor authentication. Most of the ransomware that that I've done instant response on, um, the majority is basics like lack of MFA. You know, just dumb things like that. Or I used a VPN, you know, service that there was a vulnerability that came out yesterday and I just did not patch. Um, you know, things like that, simple things. And I think that, you know, as a pen tester, you mentioned earlier, you know, seeing the same things and, you know, doing the, the, the same type of hacks or whatever. The amount of old vulnerabilities and the amount of trash on the internet, uh, as far as like, you know, SQL Blaster or MS Blaster or, you know, the old viruses that still float around, they're still there and they're still effective. And it surprises me that after all this time, people haven't gotten better at doing that part of cybersecurity, you know, the maintaining hygiene and, and the basic fundamentals. Do you see that a lot at, you know, doing your blue team stuff? Do you see a lot of that as well?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I've worked at a couple of organizations, of various, uh, you know, sector, various business size and stuff. And for me, it's, it. you know, it's, it's always follow the money, right? Even with the ransomware or, or uh, you were talking earlier about, uh, you know, global policy and everything like that. It's follow the money, follow the money. And and this is no different, right? So if you've got these um, Windows XP machines on the network, they should be replaced. Well, replacement costs money. Business doesn't see value because really the application that's running on it still works, right? So they're not seeing it as a business improvement. They're just seeing it as a cost for no, for no business value, right? Uh, so I think that that is part of the challenge and struggle that we deal with as practitioners. Um, also, uh, and this gets back to security awareness training as well, because education is so critical because most people want to do the right thing, right? Most people aren't like, just like F the business. Like they want to do the right thing. They just don't know any better. But when you see these um, internet facing systems that are improperly configured, oftentimes, It's because someone was just trying to get something done. They were trying to set it up and they just pulled it out of the box, plugged it in and packets were moving across and the, and the the light lit up. So it's good to go. Right. That they're IT people. This is, this is another thing that like I'm uh, on the bandwagon championing that a lot of people don't get like IT and InfoSec are two different domains. They do have a Venn diagram overlap, but they're two different domains. They're interested on the packets are flying across the network. I'm interested if it's appropriate. And you know, if you have just the IT person doing the setup, then they're going to set it up and go. And and I think that that's another part of this, like follow the money, right? So maybe that organization doesn't have infosec, or they they expect the IT person to be infosec as well. Um, and it's just not not the case. So I, I feel like you know that that that's really the genesis of, of why these things are out there on the internet. But but I agree with you. It is um, I don't want to say sad, but it's it's it's. It's disappointing that mm-hmm. in 2021 with all of the pub around all of the cybersecurity incidents and, and situations that the, some organizations still continue to, you know, basically play the uh, ostrich and head in the sand game where, you know, it, it won't be us. You know what I mean? Like we're just, we're, we're too small, right? You hear that, so.
0: Yeah, I've seen that a million times. A lot of the, the ransomware uh, incident response I do are for those smaller companies that have that mindset of, who wants to attack us, you know? And the, the, the quick answer is they don't, a lot of the ransomware, the way that those groups work, um, a lot of them don't actually care what they're hacking into or what they're dropping the ransomware. They have a group that scans the internet, scans IP addresses. They hand that over to the second group who does the exploitation. All they're doing is looking at vulnerabilities and exploiting. Then they hand the results and they sell those, that, that network access to bad actors and they're the ones who dropped the ransomware. So, I mean, it's, it's so segmented, but people need to understand that to them, you're an IP address. They're not looking at how much you made last year. Um, of course, there are instances where ransomware gangs will target specific companies, but the vast majority, they don't care what business you're in. They look at your IP and look at your vulnerabilities. That's it. And that's, where, that's how you end up on a dark web. So I think that, you know, like you said, it's, it's, not, it's not really sad. It's just disappointing. And I think it's lack of education and lack of knowledge um i think that you know part of what i try to do is i try to explain to companies and individuals how how the how the mindset is of the attacker and the psychology behind it and why they do what they do and the motivations and try to give them some sort of insight on how they operate because i don't think enough is focused on the actual person the psychology behind it Um, all they talk about is what motivates money or this or that the other they don't really dive into the mindset, um, the DOD did a really cool research project called Project Tularosa um, that I was involved in out at Sandia National Labs. And what they did was they got a bunch of us together and monitored our breathing, perspiration, heart rate, all that stuff, eye movement, keystrokes, as we hacked into what what we were told was a skated network. Um, And that way they could look at the different responses, get into psychology, and they, they would stop us midstream and give us like, cognitive tests and, and crypto challenges just to see how we function, right? And I think a lot of that needs to get into the private sector, into the public sector. It needs to spread you know, the knowledge of how they work, why they work, their mindset, how they calculate things. Um, so I don't think we have enough knowledge or, or information or database on that type of activity. Um, and psychology does play a huge part in why people attack and why people get attacked. Um, I mean, I could go on, you know, for a whole show over that. Uh, but yeah, I think it's same thing with, with the defense, right. With blue team, there's a certain psychology behind blue team and you always hear the old additive of, you know, the attacker only has to be right one time and the blue team has to be right all the time. Um, I don't buy into that that whole scheme because as offender, like, you know, we do have to be right most of the time. Like we could make one small mistake and throw up red flags um as a, as a blue team leader, how do you feel about, you know, being right all the time and the pressure that's put on uh, the blue team and, and those analysts?
1: Okay. I'm, glad, I'm really glad you asked uh, that question because I have a soapbox item also that I'm, you know, going to self-identify with. But really quick, I want to point out that you'll have to tell me. Uh, what the Project testerosa was either after the show because I googled it and there's a super yacht called Project Testerosa that is the first Google result. So, it's Tularosa. Tula T U L A. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, there is a super yacht called Project Testerosa. All right, yeah. so, um, so the the soapbox that I'm on uh, again is. We call it cybersecurity and and that term is so slick and so smooth that it's not gonna go anywhere, right? It it used to be information security, now it's cybersecurity. I'm an advocate of the term cyber resilience uh, or cyber resiliency, right? Which is is essentially the idea that um, you're going to get attacked successfully. So the idea is how do you maintain business operations while you're dealing with an incident, right? So like while the house is on fire or while the building's on fire, How can you continue to make widgets while the firefighters are putting it out? Because we don't have the convenience of shutting the operation down, rebuilding and moving forward. Like that's just not going to work in a business operations atmosphere. So to me, it's, it's not about defending, like, obviously we defend, right. But it's not about defending exclusively. It's about defending and having resiliency built into your protection schema. So you can, um, you know, address the issues and recover, Quickly with limited impact to your organization, and uh, and and also to your point about being right every time versus the d- attacker being right once. I, I've worked enough in the field that like I, I don't I don't I used to say that right. I used to you know bandy about that particular phrase, uh, the cyber defender dilemma, but I don't uh, subscribe to it anymore because here's the thing. <clears throat> with with multiple controls in place, like a, like a you know the Swiss cheese model that they have. If you have layered controls, defense in depth to use a sysp word, mm-hmm. like when if 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 an admin runs uh, uh, malware, right? Like they download malware because they got tricked. They run it under their admin credentials. PowerShell launches. Typically, it's a dropper, and, go- and like malware is going to go pull down a payload, right? So. Mm-hmm. Yes, they succeeded there, but then you have DNS filtering, uh, like it, and, and the the C two domain gets blocked and shut down. My tools light up. I go uh, quarantine, uh, eradicate, and 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 remove and and move move on. Right. So the attacker succeeded in some capacity, but their overall mission didn't succeed. And you know we were able to you know effectively be resilient because uh, there was an impact or an explosion, a detonation, if you will of the malware of of one stage of the malware, but it didn't effectively uh compromise my my organization or my segments or whatever like that. So, you know, attackers, you know, it, we we joke that it's like point and click and you guys just walk through and then you go get a cup of coffee and talk about how great you are. But in reality, they they have to work too. And uh also if you've ever tried to do if you've ever tried to do like a home lab or like download yes. a tool and play with it, like you quickly find out that it's it's not as slick as that, right? Like it might be the wrong version of Win. Like you have Windows 10, but it's like Windows 10 R28173 with this patch on it, not this patch. And you got to have like a Ukrainian keyboard um, layout. You know, you know what I mean? Like it's it's got to be perfect, and that's why tech demos fail all the time. So, yeah. uh, so I don't think attackers have it that easy. I don't think defenders have to be right all the time. And you know, I'm gonna get the t-shirts made up that says I work in cyber resiliency.
0: I think I'll be the first purchaser of that t-shirt because I strictly adhere to, you know, going against that whole idea of, you know, blue team has to be right all the time. Um, You know, it's, you talk about segmentation. So micro segmentation, I thought uh, I'd never seen it in action until I started doing IRs for the company I'm with now. Um, And the micro segmentation that some of these platforms do is, is amazing. And it makes things difficult and it makes IR a lot easier. Um, when you have the things microsegmented, um, you know we just recently did a, a instant response where we were able to dig them out quicker than cyber uh, liability insurance could respond, uh, and that says a lot about how much advancement we've made in defense and defense platforms. Um, so, you know, we've talked about the industry, we've talked about you know, issues within the industry. I want to get into more of Gerald. So, what do you do on your spare time? I know you're a father family. Um, how do you balance work and home life and, and keep that homeostasis right in the middle?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, you know, when I, 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 I I'm very structured. I'm very organized. I'm very explicit and deliberate with my time. So like time management. Uh, so when I'm working, I'm working. And when I'm family, I'm family. And, uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't, I used to do this, but I try not to do it now. Like I don't like check work email, like at family time. I, I have that compartmentalization. Um, I, I do try to do a lot of, uh, overlap and economies of scale. So uh, some of the things that I talk about on simply cyber, uh, like I never script anything cause I don't have time for that. But like some of the things I talk about, it's like, it's something I already know very comfortably. So I just hit record and go for it. Or if it's something I want to know about, like I'll 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 fold it into my like my job. Or if there's something I'm doing at work, then I'll fold that into a Simply Cyber episode. So I so I'm not you know spending time working and then spending time doing Simply Cyber. There is kind of overlap in it. Um, I do take some vacations. Um, not not really not a lot, but um, I I will tell you like for me, cybersecurity is a lifestyle. Like, yeah. I, I, I love it. And, and I think that's part of the reason why I, I, I would, you know, identify as doing well in the field. Mm. Um, I, I love it. I think about it. I listen to it. It's part of like my mindset and everything like that. So, you know, I, I don't really see I don't call it work because I mean, it is a job I get paid for, but I enjoy doing it. And when I'm not at work, I'm still like kind of cybersecurity thing so th- there's a lot of interplay with that so i'm able to kind of i guess manage it because when i'm in the moment of something i'm focused on that something um and i try to maximize uh this is like a micro tip i don't know if anyone else does this but like say you're going to be in a, a a meeting at work right it's one o'clock on a tuesday standard meeting time right you and it's twelve fifty, okay like i have a list of tasks like you know I, I write down task lists all the time i run through this tool called notion Well, I've got 10 minutes, right? I'm going to sit there for 10 minutes or even better. It's a business meeting where it's like we do updates to the business and like the apps person's got to go, the IT person's got to go. But I've heard this meeting, I've heard this this briefing four times already. So I know exactly what everyone's going to say. So I know I've got 20 minutes of downtime. Like I'll knock out two 10-minute tasks or I'll knock out a 15-minute task, right? Like multitasking, but really it's more about executing like... At all like all my time, I'm I'm trying to execute and get stuff done. Like I do. Um, unfortunately, some people might be like, "Oh, that doesn't sound fun at all." Like, yeah, I mean, I don't uh, like have a lot of time to do things like Netflix and chill and stuff like that. But but that's okay. This is what I want. Uh, so that that's kind of uh, I guess how I how I manage that. Uh, I will say this is like a, kind of an honest admission. I do feel like simply cyber and the work i'm doing there it's starting to reach like a, a, a threshold and i've i've actually talked to some larger youtube uh content creators about this and they said this is a thing that everyone deals with and you got to figure out how to kind of break through it but i'm starting to get um overwhelmed i guess for lack of a better term and you know i said earlier i was only doing it once a week now i've got two streams i'm i'm, I'm kind of ad hoc doing a third stream there's a lot going on a lot of people Come to me. A lot of people engage me. I get speaking engagements all over the place. I know you. You do too, Mike. And uh, it's just it. It it gets it gets hard. Like you start losing things or forgetting things, or you don't write them down, and that that's frustrating for me um, because I feel like I'm not losing control, but like I'm there's more things that require time than I have time for. Um, So, but at at the macro level, I do uh, dad and husband hard, and then I work hard.
0: Yeah, that, that, that's a good point. Um, so recently, I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was Elon Musk, but they were talking about how they divide their time and they go down to the 15 minute increments of time, which is just amazing. I, I couldn't, there's no way that I could schedule my life in 15 minute increments. It's just insane. But the whole uh, overwhelming uh, with the podcast and stuff like that, like I've reached that point so many times, um, which is really difficult for me because it's become a passion. Uh, but just like this week, right? This is, I think my second or third podcast this week that I've recorded. Um, I love doing it, but it does, it does come with a price, right? I mean, you know, I get exhausted afterwards. A lot of people don't know it, but you know, when I'm on a podcast, I really have to, to focus on being that face and, and, and being social and asking the right questions. And and there's a lot of thought that goes into it. And then you throw in neurodivergence and it's just like that di- that neurodiversity is like you really have to fight that too um, so it, for me it's like a full exercise by the time I get done with, a, with an hour long podcast I'm exhausted I literally have to go lay down for like an hour or two um, but what brings me back to it and what's so satisfying is meeting people like you and and giving good content to people who are, who are hungry for it um, but yeah I've definitely reached that level where got to be overwhelming. And I really had to step back and go, you know, this is this something I really want to do. Um, at one point I had done 40 something episodes back to back every Saturday for at least an hour apiece. Uh, and at that point I was like, you know, I need to take a vacation. So I took off for a little bit uh, for a weekend and just being gone that one weekend and not doing that one podcast drove me insane. Like I felt like I was neglecting something. Um, so now I, you know, I, I do as many episodes as I can, and that gives me the, the buffer. Like if I want to take a week off, I can, you know, just use an episode that I pre recorded and just, you know, release that. Um, but I don't like to do that because I like to, to have the conversation and make it readily available like that. So people can tune in. Um, Gerald, I have to say, this has been an absolute pleasure having you on. I really respect what you do and, and I love your podcast. Please don't stop that. Um, and if people want to catch up with you or or listen to your podcast, can you give them the details on where to go and, and what to do and how to listen?
1: Yeah, so the the easiest way for folks to find me would be go go to the website simplycyber.io. Um, I've I've got you know many different things going on right now, but that's kind of like ground zero uh, where you can get to you can get to everything. Um, so I got the YouTube channel, you can consume it that way in the live streams, and I have a bunch of free resources there. So. Um, yeah, go there and my contact information is there, my LinkedIn, my, the Discord server, all, all the ways that you could possibly get to me physically or not physically, digitally and uh, communicate with me.
0: Awesome. Well, I do appreciate it. And before we go, do you have any questions for me or any questions about the community that I can answer or help you out with?
1: Um, no, no questions come to mind right away. I mean, I, I've loved this conversation and, and getting to know you. Um, I, I guess you know one question that just kind of spurs uh, to mind. When I started Simply Cyber, I really had the idea that I was going to help people, but I had the idea that the people I was going to help are 22 year old college graduates who are going to enter the workforce. I had no idea of transitioning military, uh, pivoting career. You know, the the electrician we talked about earlier. Uh, so I'm, uh, my idea of who I'm speaking to is expanded and I make content for all of those people. And some of it's generic to apply to all of them. You had mentioned, uh, or you had volunteered being neurodivergent. Um, you know, I have some members in my community that uh, I know for a fact are autistic and, yeah. uh, you know, and I've, you know, they consume my content and that's great. But as someone who's neurodivergent, is there any thing that I could do better to tailor content for that community
0: well what you're doing is like fantastic so when i listen to your podcast i get exactly what i need and it's very straightforward it's very understandable um there's not a lot of confusion so the the biggest problem i have is when people say something and you're using an idiom or or you know talk about something uh, metaphorically uh being able to convert that into something i understand um, can be difficult at times but when people like you talk and and straight to the point and it's factual and there's not a lot of room for interpretation it's awesome um, that's why i sat on your, your podcast last weekend for you know the whole time i was walking uh, because I, I can ingest that uh, but it's the the social things that, that get kind of confusing and it's when people use you know metaphors or aren't speaking very literally that is hard to understand sometimes um, but i try to stay as genuine as possible and i, I know you do too and that, that that to me makes a good podcast and makes people want to watch it is we are who we are and we put it out there and we're genuine about it. So that's what I respect about yours. hundred percent that, you know, it's just, it's a great podcast. And you as a person, I've never met anybody so positive. So upbeat, you know, I know that, I know you're not like that all the time. It's impossible for for somebody to be like that all the time, but the image you portray is awesome. And you're just, you're a great guest. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank, thank you so much. I, I sincerely appreciate that.
0: Cool. Um, so that's it for, for this uh, episode of the Haunted Hacker Podcast. And I hope to see you guys again soon. Gerald, you're welcome anytime. You know, drop by the Discord. I'm sure I'll drop by yours. And uh, I look forward to more talks in the future. See you guys later.